Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. You're on the record. What a week. We've had post-Masters golf, the beginning of the NBA playoffs, the just about beginning of the NHL playoffs, baseball in full swing, Premier League as well. All over the place, here's your deal-making issues, three to one. Three. Dick Vitale calls for the NCAA to make changes to the transfer portal. As of today, over 1,100 college basketball players have entered their names into the portal looking for lucrative NIL deals, and Vitale says the NCAA needs to act and quickly. Vitale focused on the negative impacts of the portal and elite programs poaching the best players from the mid-majors. The beloved 83-year-old announcer acknowledged the top-tier programs. It's all legal. Everybody's doing it within the new NAL rules, but it needs to be changed. And while Vital is simply voicing the quiet part out loud, the effect of the transfer portal and the NAL deals in sport have been rumored to be a major factor in the early retirement made by Hall of Fame coaches like Jay Wright, Mike K., and others. Two. The WNBA draft, ESPN's most viewed in 19 years up 42% compared to last year's event. And the WNBA draft comes from one of the most memorable and historic NCAA women basketball seasons ever. Despite not being eligible for the WNBA draft, LSU's Angel Reese and Iowa's Caitlin Clark helped bring momentum to the sport. (laughs) Wait till next year. One. Google confirms pricing plans for NFL Sunday Ticket on YouTube TV. And the tech giant hopes to drive subscriptions to its streaming platform with live NFL, Google reportedly paying up to $2.5 billion in a season. DirecTV, as we know, previous owner of the out-of-market games. Google adds 800 fast channels. Google confirmed pricing deals for the NFL, added more than 800 free channels to Google TV as it seeks to tie more viewers into its video ecosystem. YouTube TV base plan subscribers can add the package for $349 a year or elect a bundle with NFL Red Zone for $389. Google won't monetize directly. The fast services will bring more users into its TV ecosystem, generating valuable data. Users could eventually be transformed into YouTube subscribers in the future. Watch that trend. It's going to be prolific. Football season? You could say it's right around the corner. But the draft is right around the corner. It always is. The NFL, according to good friend Jeff Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, is great at monetizing hope 365 days a year and nobody better than its superstars. Doug Flutie, the former quarterback from Natick, Massachusetts, B.C. College, Hail Mary Pass in 1984, winning the Heisman Trophy, the Generals in the USFL, the Bears, the Patriots, the CFL, Three Grey Cups, six CFL Most Outstanding Player Awards, 41,000 yards, 270 touchdowns, just eight seasons. The Canadian Football Hall of Fame, 2008. College Football Hall of Fame, 2007. 
He has some great stories, great perspective, raised $14 million for his foundation, supporting people and families affected by autism. Speaking at the Palm Beach Sports Business Club, he gave us some perspective we'll all remember. Doug Flutie. My whole story in general, uh, even then, I was five, at that time a sophomore in high school, 5'8", probably 150 pounds. I was always the undersized guy. I've always felt like I had to fight for every inch I got. Uh, I look at Tom Brady retiring right now, and I think Tom played till he was 45 years old, the same reason I played till I was 43. Because all the way to the end, you're trying to prove people wrong. Tom's trying to prove people that they were wrong by not drafting him number one, that he went in the sixth round, whatever it was, and I'm always trying to prove people wrong that I wasn't too short to play. And I've always felt like I had to fight for every inch I gained. And you know, in high school, they were afraid to put me on the field because I was like 155 pounds. When I was young, uh, my first year of tackle football, I would put five pound weights in my, under the, uh, actually two and a half pound weights underneath my thigh pads to step on the scale so I'd make the minimum weight. Right? In, in Pop Warner football, you're nine-year-old to, to 12-year-old. It wasn't, it was, that was a rough thing because it was not necessarily the age bracket that mattered, but it was between 68 pounds and 102 pounds. And I weighed like 50-something, 60 pounds. I couldn't get to 68. So I put these little weights in, in the thigh pads to get up to, to the minimal weight. And I just have always, you know, I, I, I think I've always had to fight for everything. I came from, no, my parents had no money at all. I, 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 told, I tell this story occasionally. Growing up, I knew my father got paid every two weeks on a Friday. Because by Tuesday, Wednesday of the second week, there was no food in the house. My brother and I would collect Coke bottles and cash them in for our lunch money. We'd go leave for school about a half hour early, walk around, collect Coke bottles, cash them in, get your 30 cents for lunch money, and, and go to school. And that's just the way it was. I know what it's like to walk out in the, wake up in the morning, go out to the kitchen, throw the light on, and see roaches scatter off the, the kitchen floor. Living in Florida, those of you lived in Florida before you had pest control. Um, yeah, it, I mean, that's, my mom and I would go out, we, we couldn't afford to pay for uh, trash collection. You had to pay for trash collection. My mom and I would go out on trash night, take our trash, spread it amongst the neighbors, and shove it in their trash cans. And that's what we did. That was par for the course. So if I was going to go to college, it had to be a scholarship. You know, that you, you uh, and, and I get very frustrated because I, I don't know, it's a generation gap type thing, I guess. But, um, you know, the entitlement of everybody gets a trophy and everybody gets, no, somebody wins and somebody loses. And everything in life, and I will say this to the day I, everything in life is a competition. You know, when I stepped on the Little League field, it was a comp, and I, I can remember at nine years old, that game meaning more to me than the other kids. The other kids, some of them were there just having fun. I was there to win. My buddy Mark and I, uh, we were the two best athletes on our Little League team, and in the playoffs, I pitched a game, we won that. We were playing a championship game, Mark was pitching that one against the other team's number one pitcher, and we were tied and going to extra innings. They had to postpone the game to like two days later and pick up where we left off. Well, that meant I could pitch. 
Mark and I and another, a third buddy of ours, we were coming up to, in batting order. I was going to be the lead off, Mark back second, and this other kid batted third. The three of us met at the field two hours before the extra inning was going to be played. We pitched batting practice to each other for an hour and a half, and then I got on the mound and threw pitches until I threw like you know, 10, 15 strikes in a row. We get to the uh, playoff game. I go on the mound. Now I'm a 12-year-old kid. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts, sit down. I got up, hit the first pitch to right center for a double. Mark hit the first pitch to him up the middle for a bit. Game was over in two minutes. That's, now, we showed up. We were head to toe, sweaty, dripping, dirty. But that's what it was to us. It was important. It was, it was uh, you know, who prepares the best? When, when kids, you know, when you, go to, when you go to high school, you compete for grades. Why do you compete for grades? You compete for grades to get into college. Why? Because there's a limited number of spots. And those that deserve it and earn it, get it. Same for football. When you step on the field, not everybody's going to be the starting quarterback. And when it comes time to graduate college, not everybody's getting a job. You compete for those jobs. And that's, I, I don't care what it is, that's always been my mentality. I've, I've I've had the battle for everything I gained. I, I played till I was 43 year old because I wanted to prove. And, and Steve, Steve Grogan and I played together in the late 80s in New England. Steve, I remember an interview and he, he nailed it. And, and I didn't realize I was doing it. He, they asked him, why is Doug still playing? Because he's still trying to prove you wrong. And that was, that was his mentality. Now I'm in South Florida. I'm in my, we're down here in West Palm and it's been brought to my attention that I did a couple of things against Miami teams. I, don't, I, I, yeah, I just kind of put that together that the, the drop kick was against the Miami team. I, I to put it together, right? Just put that together. I knew I, I knew I threw a pass against Miami. <laughs> Actually, I went down to a Marlins game, and one of the ushers comes over to me. He goes, you know, this is, on the, this is the site of the, the old stadium, and the end zone was right about there. So right over, so we walked around. It's somewhere behind home plate, a little bit, I think, to the first base side behind home plate. He goes, this is where he caught the pass right here. And so we took a picture down there. Painful. Anything else you want to know about the game? We threw for like 475 yards. Gerard had 12 catches for three touchdowns. Of course, Bernie threw for just as many. That's what made that game. Honestly, that game, even without the last pass, was a legendary game. I mean, that just made it stupid, over the top, and ridiculous. But it, it was a blast. I had that moment, and I had uh, the drop kick moment against your Dolphins. At the end. So he asked me, he goes, whose idea was the drop kick? And uh, the drop kick, actually, I've always messed around. Uh, going, I'm, I'm a 10-year-old kid. I get up in the morning and I surf. I still play adult league baseball, adult league hockey, blah, blah, blah. I just, that's who I am. So uh, I go out in pregame and, and kick field goals like two hours before the game and drop kick. You know, I didn't have somebody stupid enough to come out and hold for me, so I drop kick. And um, Chris Berman had actually seen me doing this. And I had a range about 40, 45 yards. Well, Chris Berman was in town doing interviews. And he, I see him across the field uh, during a practice. And he's over there talking to Belichick. I didn't think anything of it. After practice, I'm walking in. And Bill Belichick, uh, I'm going by, geez, I'm drawing a blank on the uh, secretaries. Anyway, the secretary says, hey, Bears. Bear says, hey, Doug, coach wants to see you. Now, I'm 43 years old. Coach wants to see me. I'm old. I'm broken down. I'm useless on this roster. Bring my playbook. I'm done, right? 
So I walk in, I yeah, okay, sure. I walk in, I walk into Coach Belichick's office. Bill's sitting behind his desk and behind Bill is Chris Berman. He's got his arms full, he's just beaming. I go, what's up? Coach looks at me and says, can you drop kick? I go, yeah, I can do it. He goes, is it legal? I go, yeah, it's legal. I don't, there's no reason to do it, but it's, he goes, work on it. We're gonna practice it tomorrow. I go, are you serious? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, it hasn't been done since 1941. I go, who cares, right? I, so I'm like, okay, sure, I go practice a little bit. Next day of practice, we line up, the special teams period, we go out. I try three kicks. First one, I hit a line drive knuckleball, goes through the uprights. Second one, I hit a line drive off the left upright. And third one hits the center. Bill looks at me, he goes, well, we got something to work with anyway, right? So we're gonna do it on a Monday night we're gonna do it on a Monday night at the Jets. We're at the, the whole game, like Tom's starting, Tom's playing, I'm just, a, the whole game I'm a nervous wreck. I'm on the sideline stretching, kicking a ball into a net once in a while, you name it, right? Um, puts me in the game about four minutes ago, we're on our own 30, we start marching the ball down. He wants to do it as a field goal. We get to the edge of field goal range, drive stalls out, it's gonna be like a 48 yarder. He's like, no, we can't do it. We, I think we even punted the ball. So we totally forget about it for two weeks. We're playing Miami in New England. There's five minutes on the clock. We're down by two touchdowns. And we're on the three or four yard line going in. And Bill, I'm, I'm, now I've been standing around for three and a half hours. I'm 43 years old. It's 20 degrees out. I'm just miserable. I'm standing there like, Bill sees me. He goes, we score here. You're kicking it. And he didn't even get the sentence out of his mouth. And we were in the end zone. I go, are you serious? He goes, yeah, go get it. I rip the jacket off, I look around, I steal a ball, I steal a ball out of uh, equipment guy's hands, I turn around and I just kind of punch one up into the stands as a practice kick and I look at him again, he goes, go. I jog out on the field and we're gonna do this. Now these guys had already won a couple Super Bowls, they were already the Patriots, right? They was, I get in the house, they're like a bunch of little kids at Christmas. They're fired, they know exactly what's going on. They're fired up, they're laughing. I'm like, uh, I guess we're doing it. Drop kick on the center snap, ready, break. We break, we go to line of scrimmage. We're pretending we're going for two because if they rush this thing, they're gonna block it, right? It takes way too long to get this thing off. So I'm looking around and I'm in the gun. I start backing up to get more depth. I'm doing some hand signals. Defense calls timeout. I'm like, thank the Lord, thank God. <laughs> So they call timeout, so I figure this served a purpose anyway. They wasted a timeout, we're good. I'm jogging to the sideline. Brady, Belichick, Brewski, they're all out at the numbers, like waving me back out. No, screw this, you're kicking it, stay there, right? So now I go back to the huddle, I go, I guess we're really doing this. Lonnie Paxson is a long snapper. Actually, I'm gonna see Lonnie tomorrow. Lonnie Paxson's a long snapper. And uh, Lonnie's like, Keith Trailer, 315 pound nose tackle. Now Lonnie's 220, long snapper, not really a center. He's like, what are you doing on, what are you doing on the field going for two? And Lonnie, I go, Lonnie, just tell him what we're doing. Tell him, tell him to chill out, tell him what we're doing, you know? Young wide receiver, uh, Bam Childress. Bam was a practice roster guy, just activated for the last game of the season, right? Bram's out there wide receiver. So we're lining up to do this again. I start back in the gun. And Bam's out there, I do some fake hand signals and Sam Madison, all pro DB. Sam's on, on Bam, he's like, you're running the fade, aren't you? You're running the fade. No, 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 watch the slant, watch the slant. He goes, no, 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 check this out. This is gonna be cool, you gotta see this. And he's like, 
So Bam steps back. They, all this is going on. These little conversations going on along the script. Ball snapped. I kick it. Now this is a crapshoot. The middle of the field is like a dust bowl and it's dirt. And the, the drop is the most difficult part. And I hit it square and I see it's going up and going through. And I'm like this. Lonnie snaps the ball. Nose guard doesn't beat him up. So he, he stepped through clean. And Zach Thomas is the middle linebacker. So he snapped. Zach steps up to hit Lonnie. He goes to hit Lonnie. He looks up. He's like, what was that? <laughs> I hit it, right? I hit the drop kick. It goes through. I'm like, now, I didn't even think of this part. If I miss this thing, it's the last play of my career. My wife's got to live with me the rest of her life. She was sitting up in the stands, and the second I went on the field, she knew what was going on and was a nervous wreck and is trying to explain to the other people around her. They think she's on drugs or something. She had no clue. So I hit it. I turn around. I did a little fist pump. I turn. These guys run at me like we just won the Super Bowl. We're down by five with four and a half minutes to go in a stupid game that means nothing, right? So they come. We all high five. Yeah, da 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 da. Now I'm going to the sideline. So I head towards the sideline, and I go to Belichick because you know he he allowed this to happen. It is although Chris Berman will take full credit for this whole thing, right? So I head towards the sideline, and I go straight to, to Bill, and I go to give him a hug, and he get the, eh, yeah, eh. he's not the most touchy-feely guy in the world, right, Bill? Eh, eh. And the other guys high-five and whatever. Fast forward, meet up with my wife and daughter in the uh, concourse, and we're going where my daughter comes up, and she goes, you blew off Tom Brady on national TV. I'm like, what? Tom came out for a high-five, and I went right by him to Bill. Yeah. Tom's got the worst timing with his high five. It became a thing, blowing off Tom Brady on Tom. You know, Tom just does this. You know, no eye contact. No. So anyway, it was the drop. And it, the cool thing about that for me, it gave me these bookend moments of my career. Uh, you know, the Hail Mary and, and then the drop kick. And the drop kick, um, it was the first time all year I'd made anybody smile. You've know, been a part of that team, really. I was. I was a backup to Tom all year. I had the pom-poms out, rooting for Tommy, win me a ring. Let's go. This is my last chance. I want a ring. Um, so it was really fun for me to get on the field and be a part of that and, and be a big part of that team, or, you know, a small part of that team. Uh, we did get beat that year in the playoffs in Denver. Tom Brady did something he, I've never seen happen to him in his life up until that point, and it was um, we were driving. I don't know if we were going to take – I think we were taking the lead beginning of the fourth quarter down by the one yard line and he gets picked off by Champ Bailey and he takes it 99 yards. Actually, Ben Watson, a play that Ben Watson ran 99 yards and knocks him out of bounds at the one. But um, that and Troy Brown actually dropped a punt, which never happened to us. So I uh, didn't get my ring. I had championships up in Canada that were a blast. I'd never trade those years for anything else. And I know you had Joe Theismann and Joe talks very glowingly about the CFL days as well. Um, that really restored my confidence up there. And they kind of let go of the reins and let me do what I wanted. And a lot of that was running spread offenses and a lot of the RPO game that you see now in the NFL. We were doing up in Canada 25, 30 years ago. And uh, it, it just, when I came back to Buffalo to play, I knew the things that I did well. I knew what I did well and what to stay away from. And I had a lot more input within the offense. As far as 
voicing my opinion on what we should be running. You know, the, here's the game plan. Okay, I like this, I don't like that. It's, can we do a little of this? Can we change that protection because it opens it up? And those were some things that I learned over the years in Canada. I remember going to Joe Penry, our offensive coordinator in Buffalo, and said, hey, instead of this protection, let's run it as a slide protection. And he's like, why? You, you got two guys. I go, that's all right, I'll deal with the high. But if we slide the protection, it opens this side of the field up to me and I can see a lot better. And I started realizing all these little things that gave me a little bit more of an edge because of the height problem and things that went on. But nowadays, being in the shotgun, I, you know, we were still under center a lot. And uh, I would love to have a shot at playing this day and age to be in the gun, do the things these kids are doing. I love seeing the young athlete at quarterback and, and it kind of validates all the things I tried to do. When I see Mahomes, you know, look a guy off and throw a sidearm or throw a jump pass. Um, it really uh, makes me feel good to see that stuff going on. And that's the way I love to play the game. I always played with a passion. I'm still trying to prove myself. I try to shoot, I surf with the young kids. I play hockey, take pucks off the face, you know, name it, um, and play adult league baseball. I'm still a 10 year old kid at heart. Ready for football season? After hearing Doug Flutie, I am Sports Tech Minute. The Premier League Baseball and WWE will stream on Meta's VR headsets via Peacock. NBC and Meta, broader than Peacock sports coverage, some of the media giants IP to be adapted for VR environment. Meta says the other Peacock content will be shown on a giant personal screen in a similar model to other streaming deals it has with the likes of Amazon Prime Video, YouTube, Pluto TV, and ESPN. Peacock no longer available to users as a free ad-supported platform, NBC Universal, focusing on growing its paid subscription base. And by the way, with all of the content they're generating, they'll probably get takers and more takers. That's your Sports Tech Minute. Now gaming. Connecticut Lottery requests proposals for new sports betting partners. At least eight years, an option to extend for 13 the Connecticut Lottery Partnership Corporation began soliciting proposals. The proposer expected to provide the complete wagering platform on both the online and retail channels. The 10-year deal with a CLC to serve as organization's exclusive provider of sports betting systems. Connecticut's Department of Consumer Protection reported that the state's sports betting handle fell to about $136 million in February, an 18% decline year over year. In January, Connecticut sports betting churned out $167 million, and Connecticut's next partner for sports betting systems will have to adhere to certain stipulations, including not having a relationship with a physical casino no matter what the location. The CLC's requirements will hinder WinBet, BallyBet, BetMGM, and Caesars from submitting proposals. Online betting sites Fanatics, Barstool Sportsbook, Bet365, and BetR could secure a partnership. And RSI will continue to operate retail and online sports wagering in Connecticut until the state lottery selects its new partner. And that's your Sports Gambling Minute. It's all evolving. Finally, Good Sports 5. UNT Athletics extends its relationship with Nike and BSN Sports, a market and distribute provider to all 100,000 institutional and team sports customers in colleges and universities. Paramount Plus, deeper with its Formula One partnership, look for philanthropic perspectives down the road. The Suns extend with PayPal. The Josh Bartlestein, the CEO of the Phoenix Suns, has looked 
at how to extend Matt Ishbia's purchase into a broad number of sponsorships. Panthers legend Greg Olson nominated for a sports Emmy. Who saw that coming? Tom Brady, watch out. And the Cavender twins leave Miami's women's basketball program. Haley and Hannah won't return to the University of Miami. They started playing basketball 16 years ago. They are social icons. Let's see what happens with University of Miami sports on and off the court. That's your Good Sports 5. We'd like to thank Doug Flutie for participating with his perspective. like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping us put the show together. like to thank you all for looking f- to watch and listen in the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Sports Professor Rick Haro, speak with you soon. Music.